0: Brian Windhorst, do you remember the first time you saw LeBron James score a point in a basketball game?
1: I do. I saw him in his first high school game when he was 14 years old.
0: Brian Windhorst covers the NBA for ESPN, and he has been reporting on the career of LeBron James for nearly 25 years.
1: I was a junior in college at Kent State University working as a part-timer at the Akron Beacon Journal, where I was allowed to cover some high school sporting events on the weekends. This was a Friday night, December 3rd, 1999, Mm. and uh, LeBron was playing a road game at a suburb of Akron, Ohio, Cuyahoga Falls, for his team, St. Vincent, St. Mary. He scored 15 points that night which is good for a freshman <laughs> playing in his first game. <laughs> they won easily and his head coach, who had been a head coach at the Division 1 college level, said to me that he could be the best player he has ever coached and I thought he was maybe exaggerating a little bit, but it turned out <laughs> he was right.
0: And the reason why obviously all of this feels more relevant than ever is that right now the guy that you scouted that you reported on from the very beginning is breathing down the neck, the considerable neck of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and this all-time NBA record of 38,387 points. And so right now, Brian, 24 years and counting later, you're thinking about what?
1: That this is not really a scoring record that he's breaking. It's a longevity record. LeBron would be the first to tell you he's not the greatest scorer in NBA history. There are better shooters. There have been better slashers. There have been better post-up guys. There's certainly been better free throw shooters. But nobody has been this good for this long. We all remember in the last dance, one of the more indelible moments for me was Michael Jordan sitting on that couch in a hotel suite somewhere basically saying to the camera crew, I'm done after this year. Mm. I'm mentally and physically fried.
2: I'm ready for getting out of this life. You know, you, you know when you get to that point, I'm there. And with no reservations at all, I'm there.
1: There were a lot of points where LeBron was mentally and physically fried. Year after year, making long playoff runs, going to the finals nine out of 10 years at one point, eight in a row.
2: The Spurs are the 2014 NBA champions. LeBron James walks off the floor disappointed. He had very
1: emotionally difficult losses.
2: The Golden State Warriors champions once again, back-to-back titles, three in four years. And we see LeBron James exiting the court. And this isn't easy. This is absolutely not easy when you've given everything you have.
1: Picking himself up and sometimes picking himself up, ripping down everything he did and switching teams. <laughs> sometimes ripping down everything everything he had and staying on the same team and basically having the team be completely rebuilt from scratch and reclimbing the mountain and never letting the disappointment or being taxed physically and mentally slow him down.
2: Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala Up for the layup, oh, blocked by James LeBron James with the rejection Final seconds, it's over, it's over Cleveland is a city of champions once again Cleveland! This is for you!
1: That is the basis for his resume as an all-time great He's been a daily part of the life of the American sports scene for two decades. That resume is so long. And all of it is the patchwork, is the tapestry that is symbolized by him scoring the basketball more than anybody else. It's so much more than just about tallying the most points. That's the truth.
0: What Robert Caro, the esteemed 87-year-old lion of journalism, is to Lyndon B. Johnson, our friend Brian Winhorst is to LeBron James. Because yes, to both of these journalists, these stories are really studies in power. And even more than that, they are objects of endless fascination, even obsession. Which is what tends to happen when you see something before anybody else does and then spend the rest of your life trying to tell America what LBJ is really all about. So today, with LeBron James on the cusp of breaking the hallowed record of his most impactful critic, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we bring you a theory about longevity and childhood and now allegedly stolen valor that feels like the real story underneath. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, February 3rd. And this is ESPN Daily.
2: Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part?
0: So, Brian, just the very basic math here. LeBron James, if you weren't aware, um, listener, is 38. This is his 20th NBA season. All of that is true. Longevity will be a theme of this episode as well as the complications therein. But I just want to establish up top here that whatever longevity LeBron has that you just referred to... Brian Windhorst has the same. Okay, (laughs) Brian, you've been there since the very beginning. Your recall of detail, your intimate knowledge of this story is absurd and unparalleled. And I just want to put some respect on your name as another character in this TV show starring LeBron James before we get going here.
1: Well, I would say that it's been the journey of a lifetime to be able to, to chronicle a big part of his career and... He had extreme high expectations. And as far as I'm concerned, he's met and exceeded them. Yeah,
0: I mean, literally a lifetime. And, and I guess back at St. Vincent, St. Mary's, and just to give the capsule summary, Brian, of how it is that you, for those who are unfamiliar with your part in this legend, how it is that you became this character, take us back to that time, take us back to observing young LeBron and noticing things that maybe foreshadowed this.
1: I'll never forget this weekend I spent in Teaneck, New Jersey, right around July 4th, 2001. It was the Adidas ABCD camp, which is now long defunct, but at the time was one of the premier settings for high school basketball players in the country. Right. At this time, players went right from high school to the NBA. In fact, that 2001 draft was very... Famous because Kwame Brown became the first ever player to go right from high school to the number one overall pick. And the NBA top scouts, the general managers, were coming to watch high school players. There were hundreds of college coaches there too in this really substandard gym (laughs) at Fairleigh Dickinson University where half the courts that they used were on rubber courts, not even the hardwood. But basically on one side of the gym was Mike Sheshewski and Roy Williams, and Rick Patino and Jim Boeheim. and On the other side of the gym was the general manager of the Boston Celtics, and the general manager of the New York Knicks, and the lead scout of the San Antonio Spurs. All of the basketball intelligentsia, literati, was there. And LeBron was young. He was a rising junior. This event was basically to feature rising seniors. He was supposed to be the father.
2: Right now, as a 16-year-old, what's your long-term goal? To get to the NBA. Do you want to be the best? Yeah. I read something where you said you want to be the best defender, best shooter, best... Pack. What, do you, what do you have to improve on between now and, and the NBA? Um, maybe um, getting stronger defensively and um, shooting the uh, three.
1: I want to be clear, Pablo. LeBron absolutely dominated this event. (laughs) Not, oh, well, that one kid from California might be as good. Oh, what about that kid from New Jersey? He was the best player front to back. Everybody who walked out of that gym, all of the college coaches, all of the NBA scouts had discovered the next one of the great basketball players that they'd ever seen. And he was only 16. At that moment it became clear to me that this wasn't just a local story for those of us in Akron, Ohio. That this was actually somebody who was on the national stage going to be a massive, massive story. The personal thing about that was that, and and I don't want to say anything poorly about my bosses at the Akron Beacon Journal, (laughs) but they didn't want to pay for that trip. They thought I was insane Uh. for wanting to go cover a high school basketball camp.
0: <laughs> I just love this. I, know, I, I, lo- I mean, the statute of limitations, by the way, I think has expired. So I think you're safe. <laughs> but I just love the idea that like, ah, this Windhorst kid, bit of a homer.
1: Yes, they did think that, Pablo. They did <laughs> think that these, you know, because I went to the same high school and they thought that I was, you know, just trying to get coverage for my high school. And so I paid my way to get out <laughs> to New Jersey, such as it was, whatever it was, I paid my way to get out there and it was a good investment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would say, I would say so. Because
1: I'm still talking about it 22 years later.
0: The way that the story goes from there, I mean, it becomes part of something that we know by rote, right? Like the cover of SI, the chosen one headline, which gets tattooed onto his back as a 17 year old. He gets that just the, the degree, the cumulative degree of hype. Right, which is unprecedented across all of sports. When you consider the way in which not just your investment was a wise one, but the ways in which the hype never backfired, that is the part of this thing that I still feel like should be in the lead. Like, we put all of this onto him, and he did something and is about to do something that literally nobody else in this sport has ever done. Why? Was he able to do it?
1: Because he is, was the chosen one. The story of LeBron is really one of somebody who had a very damaging childhood. And instead of that childhood leading him into damaging decisions and a damaging life, he really focused on doing the opposite. He had no stability in his formative years, and so he has tried to get stability for the rest of his time. There was no discipline around him. Uh, Very famously, in fourth grade, he missed 100 days of school. Yeah. And so he has become one of the most disciplined people that you'll ever meet. He had very few family members. His grandmother, who was the rock of his family, passed away on Christmas Day when he was just four or five years old. And that was a wrecking ball to his family. He didn't have much of a family. And so he has made family, and particularly a few people close to him that he considers family, to be the rocks in his life. So it could have gone either way, and it went this direction. I will say that one of the big moments of his life was this game that he was when he was a senior in high school, that ESPN two put on the air. Dick Vitale and Bill Walton flew in to call it.
0: Oh, I remember watching this.
1: Yeah, they played at Cleveland State University in a twelve thousand seat venue against Oak Hill Academy, which was the number one team in the country. But the pressure for that game was immense. It was being promoted on SportsCenter. Not after, but like before.
0: No, the first of its kind. The first experiment of its kind. Yeah,
1: you know, Rich Eisen was, you know, at 6 o'clock throwing to to Dick Vitale to talk about him to hype the game. There was not a college basketball game on. Dick Vitale wasn't <laughs> calling a Duke game that night because the LeBron game was more important.
2: As I turn first to my right, we bring in Dick Vitale, of course, synonymous with our college basketball coverage. Tell us a little bit about what you know about LeBron James. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Dan. When you talk about LeBron James, it's been a runaway freight train. The Express went hype. He was on the cover last year of Sports Illustrated, on the cover of ESPN magazine this week. And all I know is if he's half as good as all I've heard about him, he is going to be one special <laughs> athlete.
1: And not only did he deliver... But he delivered in such a way that he created these highlights that were played on ESPN for months.
2: Uh, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? How many college guys are NBA guys can make that pass in transition? I mean, I got goosebumps watching that.
1: The country discovered LeBron in this game. It set the stage for him to be so highly regarded as a draft pick.
2: With the first pick in the 2003 NBA Draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select LeBron James.
1: And set the stage for that first game in Sacramento. He has one of the more brilliant first 12 minutes of anybody's career that we've ever seen.
2: Here he comes the other way. There's your first James Jam of his career. There has been no disappointment in LeBron James opening nine and a half minutes.
1: His ability to overachieve under expectation pressure pretty much over and over, but particularly when he was young, set the stage for him being who he ended up becoming.
0: And what he ended up becoming was a pass-first, positionless, conspicuously well-rounded superstar, right? He had the hardware of a big, but the software of a point guard. And that is the thing, Brian, that fed this criticism of his game that has lingered. And And LeBron, the criticism goes, did not want to shoot. He did not want the free throws when the game was on the line. And so the fact that that same guy is going to break the scoring record now, the implication here also is that He could have broken this a lot faster.
1: Without question. (laughs) He was obviously the centerpiece of all of his teams for 20 years with basically four different teams. I know the Cavs twice, but basically four different teams. He's always been the guy with the ball in his hands. And while he, again, doesn't have the scoring skills that maybe Kobe had or Jordan had, he believed that the best way to win basketball games was to share the ball. And can you go find instances where maybe he was a little bit queasy about getting fouled? Absolutely. Could you find instances where maybe him trying to bowl over guys at the rim one-on-two or one-on-three when he could have, and instead he passed it out to a lesser teammate for a shot? Absolutely. But I think if you look at it in total... No, I think, again, it goes back to his childhood. When LeBron was a child, he had very little family and no friends because he had to keep moving. And when he finally found a base, the family that took him in and changed his life was his basketball coach. And the friends that he had were his teammates. So even though he was bigger, stronger, and faster than all of the kids he played with, if he hogged the ball, They would not have liked him. He wanted to be their friend. Mm. So he learned to play the game, sharing the ball. And that was the way he was raised in the game.
0: And just to catch everybody up on your vantage point on all of this, Brian, because it is uncommon, you have not just written four books on LeBron at this point. Your mom was the health and sex ed teacher at your shared high school, St. Vincent, St. Mary. And so, yes, your, your insight into this is particularly incisive.
1: Now, his current teammates would tell you that he's got a very small group of friends in his life, and he may be friendly to you when he's your teammate, and when he's done with you, he's done with you, mm-hmm. but the concept of the way he plays the game has never changed, and that has resulted in less scoring chances, but he, he couldn't have made it. He couldn't have played basketball for this long if he didn't play the way that made him satisfied. And you can take umbrage with it, and you may have a good point at times, but that style has kept the fire burning for so long. But Brian,
0: this is where I do want to acknowledge that I think there are listeners out there, sports fans, who have long been numbed to the LeBron James industrial complex, who probably are sounding a little bit like your old editors, right? Who are like, oh, there's Winhorst again, just being a homer. Like, we get it. Yes, he's he's everything. He's the sun, the moon, and the stars. He's awesome. But I guess the point here, as we track the trajectory of a guy who turned that eight-figure Nike deal into a billion-dollar deal and turned that cameo appearance on ESPN into, yes, a role as the protagonist of everything the NBA knows today, I am curious if you have a theory as to why he has pursued longevity to this extent.
1: Well, I honestly think that LeBron's son being on the horizon has helped elongate his career. And that motivation has kept LeBron wanting to be sharp. He still wants to win. I'm not saying that he doesn't approach these seasons as I want to try to get in and and get what would be, you know, the fifth ring. But he is infatuated with the idea of capping his career with his son. And I think there's a really good chance it's gonna happen.
0: But once you have the scoring
2: title to your name, What's left for you? What do you need to do in your career before you can hang it up? I need to be on the floor with my boy. Um, I gotta be on the floor with Bronny. I would love to um, do the whole uh, King Griffey Sr., Jr. thing.
0: That's, that's, that's,
2: that would be ideal for sure. Being, being with him, spending a full year with him in the same uniform, that would be the icing on the cake.
1: You have to understand a few things about LeBron. He never knew his father. And the difficulty that he had with his early part of his life moving around, not having stability, was largely in part because you know he didn't have a steady figure in his life. And so when his son was born, in fact, the day his son, LeBron Jr., was born, I spoke to him. It was underneath the bleachers at Capitol University in Columbus, Ohio. The Cavs were having training camp. And he said that night that, he was going to give his son his name, which he was later regretted, by the way. He regretted, ended up putting that pressure on him. Yes. But in that moment, he had a reason for doing it. And he told me, he told me that he wanted to give him his name because he wanted to feel the responsibility to raise him properly. And, you know, I know that this isn't, In and of itself, it's not a rare situation that somebody who maybe didn't have a great relationship with their father wants to be a better father. I think that's part of the human condition, but for LeBron, it really mattered. And so to see who Bronny has become, which is not only an exceptional basketball player, he doesn't have the physical gifts that his father did. He's not as big. He's not as strong. He's not as fast, but you look at him play and he plays such the right way, such the way his father plays, you know, pass first, a great temperament. And he's so proud of his son. And so, you know, yes, he is playing every other night for the Lakers right now, trying like crazy to scratch their way into the play in tournament and try to make something happen. And, you know, when he doesn't get a call, he's devastated. But the driving force, the light in LeBron's life right now is his son. If you asked him, with Truth Serum, would he rather have another title or would he rather play with his son? Yes. I think he'd say he'd rather play with his son. This is what he's doing, Pablo, with his family. There was no expectation of him whatsoever. And he's gonna put his foot in the ground and pivot on it and say, I instead am gonna have a family legacy not only is my family that was nothing when I was a child going to be a great family, but I am going to have this legacy where I am a father of a, of a son on the same team.
0: After the break, why the family legacy of the Los Angeles Lakers is even more complicated, specifically for LeBron, than it might seem... So, Brian, this is the part of the show where we, yeah, formally introduce, I suppose, the other literally and figuratively huge character in this whole story, who is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And look, the NBA, as we all know, likes to drape itself in history, especially these days, right? They rename awards after individual players, the all-time greats from past generations. So the finals MVP trophy is the Bill Russell trophy. The award for social justice work is named after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and The temperature between LeBron and Kareem right now, what word would you use to characterize it?
1: Maybe frosty, complicated, uh, although hopefully this experience with one passing the other will open the door for that. Kareem, I think if you study his history, he's occasionally gotten at crossroads with Teammates and other people mm-hmm. in his life for various reasons. And he and LeBron, which they didn't have much of a relationship before, but certainly since he's been a Laker, they haven't always seen eye to eye. Kareem has criticized some of LeBron's choices. LeBron has turned his back on being asked to talk about Kareem at times. But just because it's been that way in the past doesn't mean it'll be that way into the future. And so this is really um, a record to celebrate basketball. But when it comes to two incredibly huge figures in the history of the sport, in fact, arguably the two greatest high school players of all time, and they had similar type careers where Kareem made a very high profile change of teams midway through his career. You know, there are some similarities, but they don't operate really, haven't operated really on the same wavelength.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Brian, this is the... This is sort of like the frostiness, sort of the the cold war, as it were, between LeBron and Kareem. And Kareem, by the way, has been, to my mind, LeBron's most impactful critic. Kareem, he's also a columnist now, Brian. He's doing the job that we kind of do. He has a Substack, which is admittedly surreal. And he has said, and I want to quote this here to get it right, he said, quote, "'On occasion I have chided LeBron when I thought he was dropping the ball when it came to supporting the community.'" but I did so in the spirit of a loving older brother offering guidance, whether wanted or not. And quote, and this is guidance, by the way, that included, but is not limited to, certainly, to chiding LeBron over his early public stance on COVID and the vaccine, which LeBron then, to your point, deliberately decided to not engage with. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had an essay this week that I'm sure you saw that was critical of your Instagram post, the meme, uh, Spider-Man meme about COVID. I wondered if you had a response to what Kareem had said or if you wanted to clarify what you were trying to say with that post. No, I don't have a response
2: to Kareem at all.
0: And more recently, when LeBron got asked about his relationship with Kareem, uh, just directly, he was... Even more tersely straightforward about how there is no relationship.
2: would you having a chance to get the
1: all-time scoring like this year, do you have any thoughts on Kareem? And also if you have a relationship, no? No. No thoughts. no relationship.
0: And so that set the stage for this week, because on a TNT broadcast, CNN's Don Lemon read a statement from Kareem now about the whole thing and the record chase. And he did, admittedly, seem a bit warmer.
1: He says, I've been carrying the torch as record holder for 38 years. I'm excited and relieved to pass it along to the next worthy recipient. LeBron
2: earned it, and I hope he carries it even longer than I did. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar.
0: And so, Brian, there are memes in here. There's obviously tension back and forth. What do you make of this dynamic?
1: It's complicated. You know, LeBron's whole sort of spot in Laker history is complicated. Last year uh, in Cleveland at the All-Star Game, they honored the top 75 players of all time. And the Lakers are extremely represented on that list, particularly with different eras of players. And when they got together for this iconic photo shoot before the game itself on All-Star Sunday, the Lakers, who are a part of the top 75 were there and they decided they got a picture of the Lakers now unfortunately not all of the Lakers could be there Kobe unfortunately obviously would have been a front and center he has passed away Elgin Baylor mm-hmm. recently passed away was on the list but it, this, this photo is incredible because you've got Jerry West and Kareem and Magic and Shaq and James Worthy and Bob McAdoo and then LeBron And, you know, LeBron (laughs) has now played for the Lakers for five years. That is longer than his stint with the Heat was. It is longer than his second stint with the Cavs was. He played seven years with the Cavs the first time around. I think there's a decent chance he's going to play seven years with the Lakers or maybe even eight. I don't know. Maybe he's got three years left. He could end up having the longest tenure of his career as a Laker. But yet he doesn't, you know, fit in the sort of Laker lore. You know, some of these people that I have talked about have statues outside the arena.
0: Yes. And so what you're establishing here is that there is a certain tension around that photo of those all-time top 75 Lakers greats. And that is both among fans who think that LeBron has not earned uh, true Laker status, that there is some stolen valor here. But it's also felt among some of the people actually in that room, in that photo itself.
1: LeBron has hung a banner in crypto.com there is a star on the court that is representative of one of the 17 championships just like there's a star on the court that Jerry West won he is by all rights a true laker great but it doesn't always feel that way you know we have a all-time laker great in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being passed by another laker so how is it going to be celebrated with him passing a guy who has a statue, you know? Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. That does feel
0: like a bit of an understatement because I'm trying to imagine now the moment, right? Like all of this is about these clips that will play unto eternity, (laughs) these highlights that LeBron is still accumulating. And this one, what do you imagine its most sort of potent version might look like?
1: Well, it's kind of gotten out there a little bit LeBron has been caught practicing a skyhook. <laughs> and now I just love this so much. He has made a few skyhooks in his career. Um, it's never been a central part of his repertoire. No. He is very clearly trying to do something symbolic. Now, the Lakers are in a playoff fight. They can't afford, you know, if we're in the end of a fourth quarter game, <laughs> And, like, LeBron's right at the scoring record, and they need two points to try to win a game.
0: Oh, I want this bad. No, I want it bad, Brian.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure it's uh, time for an homage. Um, But I do think LeBron is trying to plan some sort of homage to Kareem.
0: Yes, who mastered the sky hook, the most unblockable, unstoppable shot in the history of organized basketball. He's got
1: to make it, though, Pablo. Well, that's, uh, that's the thing. So I don't know... What he's going to be able to do, but you know, LeBron is extremely savvy and um, he's aware of the little bit of frostiness, of course, with Kareem. and he's aware of the somewhat awkwardness of breaking a Laker Greats record. And if this can maybe grease the passage a little bit, it would be a good move. I don't know if he can pull it off. If he can pull it off, it would be it would it would be pretty impressive. I want the goggles. Why are we stopping with the skyhook? I want the goggles. <laughs> amazing. Will he shave his head too? Will he shave his head and the goggles?
0: Oh my gosh. Ryan Windhorse, the master of this story. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pablo. I am Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Happy Birthday MJ, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Dantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps, Kendall Majet, Mike Shallow, Frank Saracino, and Jackson Udgelow. I'll talk to you Monday.